because what I understand is she left it on a bit of a cliffhanger. So I need to, <laughs> I need to listen to her first, her first uh, part, and then, um, yeah. But they're going to be on the page this week, so you will get a chance to catch up with those. So just anyone that wanted to know, that was all right, wasn't it, Carolina? For you, podcast. Yeah, cool. <laughs> um, fantastic. So I'd just like to welcome to the stage, Mary. <laughs> Hello. Is it working? I think it's working, yeah, it is, okay. yeah. Okay. It's not that you've just got a really quiet voice. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> right, anyway, so we're very lucky to have the uh, fabulous Mary Caulfield here this morning. Um, so, Mary, please, tell us, where, where are you from? Um, I grew up on a small dairy farm in North Shropshire, just inside the English border. I was almost Welsh, but not quite. <laughs> Fantastic. And tell me about your family. you got brothers and sisters? And... Yep. So I'm the oldest. Um, my, I have a sister who's a couple of years younger than me and then a brother who's a couple of years below that. Um, we all grew up in a, in a kind of rural kind of area, I'd say. Both my parents came from farming families and so there was a lot of welly wearing in my childhood. Yeah. <laughs> Did you actually work on the farm? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. Up at like 3am to milk cows and stuff. <laughs> Not quite that early, but yeah. Um, <laughs> so we used to milk, um, we stopped milking and switched to just beef when I was maybe seven or eight, but I worked on the farm my whole childhood. It's normal when you're a farmer's kid, especially when you're the eldest farmer's kid, because even when your brothers and sisters get to the age that you were at when you were given certain chores, you're already still older than them, so you just get more, not less. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I used to... Um, Every week, um, Tuesdays was my day when I'd be up at five and do three hours before I went to school. And my dad used to have different teenage boys that he'd pay um, on different mornings. And it was amazing how often, if it snowed or hailed, that their parents would say, oh, they're not feeling great today. Um, so my dad would come back, wake me up in a grump at 10 past five and say, get up. So I'm really good at being up and awake and out of the house in about three minutes if I need to at five o'clock in the morning. I had a lot of practice. So um, needless to say, you haven't gone into a dairy farming or a beef farming career, have you, Mary? What, what did you want to be when you were younger? <laughs> Um, I think when you're a farmer's kid, you know very early whether you want to live on the farm for the rest of your life or whether you don't. And I had no desire to spend the rest of my life wearing wellies and walking around fields, which is a little bit ironic when you find out a bit more about my job now later. But anyway, <laughs> um, I, um, I wanted to be a medical research scientist, so I've got a degree in bi biomedical science. Okay, so you're a bit clever then. So-so. <laughs> mm, <laughs> Um, so, I mean, tell us a little bit more about how did you end up in, in this area, in Littlehampton? Um, human terms, Tim Jupp, spiritual terms, God. Um, those two interconnect. So, um, I went to university in Nottingham um, to do my degree and I stayed there working after I graduated. I was working in a pharmaceutical company initially, but... Um, after a few years, God had been tapping me on the shoulder and basically said, you need to go and take this job at your church. So having had a bit of a grumble with him, I went. And uh, that church um, was, and it still is, Trent Vineyard, which is a huge church in Nottingham. When I was there, I was doing more and more events things, um, some things with work, but mostly out of work. There seemed to be a permanent queue of different people coming to ask me to help them sort stuff out for their church or their charity. Um, and Tim did a big church day out in the north, and he'd asked around through his contacts for someone in the Midlands who could help him, who was local to that area with that event. 
and that person was me. And after doing that, I carried on merrily with my life in Nottingham. And then Tim asked me to come down to Sussex one day for a meeting, which I just assumed was about doing a little bit of work or something. And uh, I was driving down, driving down, and I've never, I hadn't been to this area in Sussex at all before. And as I drove around the sort of long furlong um, kind of area, and all the fields just spread out in front of me. I just had this really strong sense of God saying to me, you could live here, you could be happy here. And I thought, that's a bit weird. I'm only coming for a meeting and going back again at tea time. And um, I carried on, um, met him um, for lunch near the uh, big church day outside. And within about five minutes, he had... Um, told me that he thought I was the person that he needed to help him um, with Big Church Day out at that point and would I please quit my job and my life in Nottingham and move to Sussex. So um, it made no logical sense but it made complete God sense. So I went back to Nottingham and I said to the guys at the church I need to I need to leave and I told my friends and my small group and all the different projects I was involved with that I, that I was going. Um, I knew Tim a little bit. I'd met Becca briefly and that was it I didn't know anybody else down here and I gave up my job and I moved down here to a part-time job with Big Church Day and to go um, freelance in the events industry in a recession in an area where I didn't know anybody but um, God's been incredibly faithful and uh, things have gone really well. Brilliant I mean I'm assuming most people know but Big Church Day is a massive Christian festival isn't it? And um, and a man called Tim Jupp. And so obviously you helped kind of get that off the ground and get that really, really going. I mean, well, it was already definitely off the ground and going, but um, <laughs> structures and uh, yeah, helping them to, to develop it so they could make it bigger and, and better and stronger. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what kind of challenges have you faced in this sort of line of work that you really felt God's helped you through? Have you got any stories or anything you can immediately think of? I think. Uh, most of my professional journey in the events world has been very much about following where I'm led, even if it seems quite terrifying, and trusting that God will bring through the things that you need when you need them, even if you hadn't yet realised you were going to need them. He's already got them lined up. So I, I moved down here in the January. We did Big Church Day out in the May, and I thought, right, great. Ne second half of this year, I can build relationships with people, I can get to know people, I can embed into this community, but God had quite different ideas. So um, I went for a meeting at the Bible Society about doing four days worth of work for them and walked out of it having just agreed to do a six-month tour that I was going to leave on in five days' time. And uh, I didn't see that coming at all. <laughs> um, and I'd say that tour is a great example of how God has both led me and really supported me. So it was a tour called the People's Bible Tour. It was celebrating 400 years since the Bible was available in English in the UK, so the King James Bible. And the tour was to go around the whole of England, um, Wales and all the kind of outlying islands into city centres and into places of huge population and moved every day or every other day and really get people to engage in the Bible that wouldn't normally through using really cool technology um, and really funky marquees, all this different kind of stuff. 
Um, but the catch was we had to put it up every day. And the bigger catch was that every day or every other day I had to teach a brand new team of local volunteers who I'd never met before how to build a really complicated marquee safely in the middle of a public square, how to use the really complicated technology when a lot of them didn't even have their own iPad, let alone know how to teach someone else how to use one with a digital pens and all kinds of stuff and be smiley and lovely and do it for about eight hours a day and then set it all down and then drive to the next place so um, as you can imagine I got progressively more tired kind of as it went on but at the same time was incredibly inspired by the stories we'd have and people who would come and talk to us about the fact that it was the first time they'd they looked at a Bible or thought about God in, in years, but because we were there in the middle of their shopping centre or we were there in the middle of their city centre with stuff that looked cool and interesting, that they wanted to come and have a look and they'd been brave enough to walk through the doors of our tent when they wouldn't have been brave enough to walk into a church. And um, I never quite knew from day to day what I wouldn't have or what would break or what would blow away or who would be problematic or... Uh, um, what quite what would happen and there was one particular day and we were in Essex and it was a bank holiday Monday might have been Chelmsford I can't even remember we went to so many places and um, we got there and the council was supposed to have arranged the power to run all the stuff that we needed and they hadn't and the stuff that was supposed to be there wasn't and the man that was supposed to be there wasn't and it was a bank holiday Monday and all the offices were shut and I'd got this team of volunteers and all this stuff that I couldn't run. And I was looking at it thinking, okay, God, I really need an inspired solution to this because I have genuinely no clue how I am going to fix this. And about three minutes later, a guy wandered around the corner and he said, you're right, you don't know me, from the local Methodist church. And uh, I don't know, it's a bit weird. Probably doesn't make any sense, but I'm an electrician and God told me I needed to come down here this morning and bring my tools. <laughs> So he um, broke into, in inverted commas, the council's power distribution thing for where we were and went back to his van and got the cables and the connections that we needed and he set us up and at the end of the day he came and took it all away again and put it all back to how the council needed it to be. And uh, that, that kind of thing happened so many times that I just got quite used to it in a way, which you shouldn't because it's a miracle every time that it happens. But if God asks you to go outside of your comfort zone and go and do something that you don't know how you're going to do it, he will always be there with you and he will give you the things that you need. That's amazing. From biochemist to um, the most patient woman on the earth, it seems like. <laughs> Is that God-given patience? Or <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I could do some of that. Three kids. And, um, anyway, Mary, you are recently engaged. Congratulations. Um, tell us about um, Hugh and, um, and how your life has changed since meeting him. She's smiling at me for two reasons because she knows it's, it's not quite that straightforward. But um, Hugh is wonderful. He makes me very happy. He's very tall, isn't he? Hugh is six foot seven. I'm slightly jealous. <laughs> <laughs> but very happy. <laughs> When, um, when I was a teenager, I always said I wanted a tall man and my brother used to insist that God would make me marry a dwarf because I shouldn't be sizest. But um, I think I won the lottery in this one. He is six foot seven. Um, I get to feel little. I don't feel little often. It's lovely. Um, yeah. Um, in the autumn of last year, um, I met Hugh 
And two weeks after I met you, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So the last eight months, can't count in my head, um, have been highs and lows all mixed in together. And it, it's been a really emotional time. Um, yeah, I've been, sorry, I'm probably going to cry, but just ignore me and I'll keep You're talking. You're doing amazing. You're doing um, amazing. I had been single for quite a long time and I knew that God had needed to be me to be single so that he could use me to do stuff that people with kids couldn't do because you can't go and tour for six months at the drop of a hat if you've got three children. You can't do it. And so when I met Hugh, it was this amazing sense of, wow, you know, God's provided this really great person. And then I had to tell him that I'd been diagnosed with cancer and I was going to have surgery and treatment and, and I didn't know what the outcome would be at that point. And um, I genuinely thought that he would probably walk away because he'd only known me for a fortnight and it's not very sexy. Is it? hi, yeah, great. Look at me, I'm going to have a scars and I don't know what they're going to look like and might have to have chemotherapy, whoop. Um, but he was, he was really amazing and um, he's been right beside me all the way through. And um, I don't have cancer anymore, which is a happy thing. So. Amazing. And uh, uh, big thanks to all the ladies who've just been really amazingly praying for me during this period because it made such a huge difference knowing that I've got people like Brenda and Pat and so many ladies just praying for me. And when I went in for my surgery, my surgeon was quite, looked quite worried and he's normally very calm. And I said, what's the matter? And he said, I'm worried about you and you don't really want your surgeon to say that to you when you're just about to go for an operation. And I said, why? And he said, because you're calm. And I said, yes. And he said, you shouldn't be this calm. People aren't this calm when they're going in for surgery. And I was like, well, well I am because I know that I'm okay and I know that God's got me and I know that people are praying for me and it's going to be all right. And I don't know what I'm going to look like and I don't know what you're going to find, but I know that I'll still be okay. And he was quite perturbed by this. But um, but uh, when I came out after my surgery and he saw me later and he was like, yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's gone better than we thought. And, uh, and you were right to be calm because, you know, all is well. So at least, uh, at least I could uh, show him a little bit of my faith too, which was good. But So, and yeah, in the midst of all of this, there have been... Uh, uh, getting to know Hugh and getting to know his family and um, yeah it's amazing how God can give you exactly what you need just when you need it and at a point when I felt less feminine and less beautiful I'd got someone there saying no I, you are beautiful and you are still feminine and I do still love you and it's a really powerful thing and it's the one point in my life where I needed it the most and he's been right there. And uh, yeah, I really, really value that. And I love him a lot. And um, we both take our strength from God. And that's, that's really important to me that I never wanted to marry anyone who didn't share my faith because it's so central to who I am as a person. And he really gets that because it's the same for him. So there have been um, some challenges along the way and there have been lots of laughter and uh, when you get to know someone when you're going through cancer it's, it's sort of 
I guess, hyperspeeds your relationship because all the conversations that would normally take ages for you to talk about, like death and fertility and, and fears and just so many differing things that you wouldn't normally be talking about three or four weeks into a relationship, you kind of have to because you can't avoid it and, and it's there right in front of you and you're having to deal with it. Um, but the bonus of that is that you're having a relationship which is incredibly real from the very beginning and you don't play silly games and you don't worry about whether your makeup's quite perfect because they've seen you when you've come out of surgery and you look as rough as heck and you're partially blue. And um, yeah, it's, uh, you know that, that you're completely honest with each other. There have also been some interesting... I'd say social challenges in a funny kind of way. So um, few of you know, but most of you probably don't. Um, Hugh's dad is a baronet. And um, I never imagined that I would grow up and have my wedding announced in the Telegraph, but I have. <laughs> I definitely didn't imagine that my mum would then get a phone call a few weeks later, because in the announcement, I didn't know. This isn't my thing. But it says, you know, daughter of Mrs. Frieda Caulfield, Tilstock, Shropshire. She lives in a small village. She's the only Caulfield in, in Tilstock. She's not hard to locate. So she got a phone call from someone saying, Hi, I'm a society photographer based in Kensington. I've done a lot of the royal family weddings. Would you like to book my services? <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, she managed to hold it enough together not to laugh until she put the phone down. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, and uh, one, one of Hugh's parents' friends, when I was uh, first meeting them, genuinely asked me and the first thing he said to me while well, sat next to me at dinner was uh, so I hear you live in Little Hampton what type of yacht do you have moored in the marina <laughs> <laughs> so it is fair to say that um, my life has changed in a variety of ways since I met you <laughs> those were not conversations that I was used to having on a day-to-day -day basis in Little Hampton <laughs> um but uh, but yeah, we um, we're good for each other, and um, we encourage each other to be the best that we can be, and to be brave, and to do the things that God puts in front of us, and and that's that's the most I can ask for. That's amazing! What an amazing story! Um, if you could give us as women a word of encouragement, I mean, there's been loads of encouraging stuff that you said, but is, if there's anything in particular that you can for us to take away with us, is there anything you yeah. could say? I think um, so. Particularly in my work in the events industry, I work in a very male-dominated world. And the one thing that I see over and over and over again in the difference between men and women, both for the professionals that I work with and the volunteers that I work with, is how they handle being asked to do stuff. If I ask guys to do stuff, they don't doubt whether they're capable of doing it. They just say, okay, yeah, no problem. I'll do that. Yeah, that's great. And they don't, they don't question whether possibly I should have asked somebody else because maybe that person's done it once more before them. Maybe that person might possibly be slightly better at it. They just think, I've been asked to do that and that's great, I'm going to do it. And so many times when women are asked to do things, because our egos are different and not often in quite in the same way as guys, so many times we second guess ourselves and 
we say, oh, this person's asked me to do this thing, but I'm not sure, am I the best person? Maybe Sarah's better at it. You know, maybe her hair's a bit shinier, or, or maybe she did this thing six months ago, so she's better placed to do it than me, or, or maybe if I waited a year, maybe I'd be better on doing it then. And I think, as women, we so often, because we're not so confident that we are the 100% best person to do it, right in that moment, do it, we just say no. And actually, you don't need to be the 100% best person. You just need to be the person. And you don't need to have it all together because God doesn't need you to because he can give you the stuff that he needs. I was not the best qualified person to take a six-month tour around the UK and engage with tens of thousands of people. I didn't have all the skills that I needed. I had some of them, but I didn't have everything I needed. But God gave me what I needed because I followed where he led me. And it makes me really sad when I see women who've got so many gifts and skills not realising that they've got gifts and skills or putting themselves down because they compare themselves to other women who they perceive to have more or better or different. And what I want to say is when someone asks you to do something, don't think, is there somebody better? Just say yes and be bold enough to do it get out there and make a difference and learn stuff because you're all incredible people and you've all got so many talents and often you don't recognize them but you do and as friends when you see your friends doubting themselves and saying oh I'm not sure if I'm the right person to do this I'm not sure if I'm strong enough or brave enough or kind enough or funny enough just tell them that they are give them a prod and then be there to back them up when they need the help because what they're doing is tricky and I just think if all the women in the world were brave enough to do the things that they were asked to do rather than assuming that they're not as good as somebody else, the world would be happier and healthier and full of people who were really just able to bring peace and bring harmony and meld things together because there's so much untapped potential just in this room. And if you multiply that out to every church in Britain and you multiply that out to every church in the world and more and to the women who are not even in church, we could be doing the most phenomenal things, but you have to be brave enough to just take that first step and say, okay, I'm not entirely sure how this is going to work out, but I'm going to do it anyway because I know God's with me. Thank you. That's amazing. Thank you, Mary. We give her a round of applause. Um,